Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Well, we had an awesome night, too, of the Spring Shields Virtual Hunt Series with Michael Waddell. He answered a ton of questions from the audience, but unfortunately, we did not get to all of them. So the goal with this bonus podcast is we're going to go and we're going to speed answer these, just knock through the rest of the questions to make sure all of them get an answer for you. So Mike Anderson here and with me, Ben Ben. Flyshecker, the host for the night. And what we're going to do is uh, we'll just read the question off. Uh, I'll try and answer a couple of them. Uh, Ben will add to it, or I'll just refer right to Ben on these. So without ado, let's get started here. So I've never turkey hunted, but I'm interested. What are the biggest mistakes people make? I'll let you have this one. uh, For me personally, I'd say the biggest mistake is movement and not being covered in camo. I mean, there's times that... You just get lucky, right? I mean, you don't have a face mask on, you don't have gloves on, you don't have camo on or matching camo, you know. Um, there's been plenty of situations where I've seen that kind of unfold. But for, for in general, I'd definitely say it's movement. I mean, it's it's one of those deals that, you know, you, you can watch all the hunting videos, you can watch the YouTube channels, and, you know, they're going to give you really good, you know, basics. And so when you get out there, have you actually practiced, you know, in your living room, whether it's a real gun or a broomstick or whatever it might be, but sitting there against a cow, sitting against the wall, and slowly raising your shotgun up, and then getting on that, you know, in a, in a slow, congruent movement. You know, it's one of those deals that um, as you get more confident, more, you know, efficient um, at, at just turkey hunting in general, it's one of those deals that my gun is always on my lap. Like, I'd never have my gun ready, even if I know the bird's coming in, because I'm not too worried, because I know I can grab that shotgun, pull up, and shoot. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about getting on the bird, make sure I'm down on the shotgun or anything else. Uh, but that movement is very important. Um, calling, you know, it's one thing that was talked about a lot with Mike and even the night before with uh, Mike Pentecost and Scott Ellis, you know, and calling how important it is. And uh, I think a lot of people get, they don't have the confidence, right? It's try, fail, and adjust. Mm-hmm. You got to call, you got to make some mistakes, you got to kind of learn. But, you know, you can, can you overcall? Absolutely. Are there times that you have to call the turkeys literally right into your laps? Absolutely. There are times mm-hmm. that you just make a couple calls and you shut up and don't say a single thing. Absolutely. Yeah, most of it's just gained through experience. But I would say another one of the biggest mistakes is is preparation. You know, making sure you have all your ducks in a row, all your gear ready, and make sure that you've shot your shotgun, mm-hmm. know where it's patterned, and feel super comfortable before you even get out into the field. Yep. So, okay, next question. Um, what are the biggest mistakes people make when managing their land? That's a double-edged sword, in my opinion, because I think a lot of it kind of goes into your area, right? I mean, if you, and what your end goal is for your, your habitat restoration or your, just your property improvement, you know, if you're really looking to build turkey and deer property, you know, you may have one management plan, one game plan, and that's one of those deals that I would highly encourage you to reach out to your habitat organizations uh, within that area because they're going to be able to have, you know, they already know what the soil types are going to be. They already know what's going to grow. They already know what the food uh, the food plots or the, the feeding schedule, you know, sort of say that you need to do. I mean, there's guys that are professional hunters and that they still have a habitat management program that includes supplemental feeding year-round. Mm-hmm. If not, it's always for that tail end of the wintertime when it's hardest warm. But, you know, for me, it's one of those deals that 
uh, on, on property that I may have exclusive rights to, whether it's a lease, whether it's just a handshake agreement or whether it's property I own, it's 100% focused around that nesting habitat. You know, you need to have the trees, right? Everything likes trees, winter habitat, late season, uh, you get three feet of snow up here in the, the great white north. Well, what's all that habitat's now gone. All that nesting cover, all that grass, you know, a field of blue stem is not going to be as beneficial later in the season as it is going to be when you have some some sort of a conifer, a cedar tree, a pine tree of some sort, some thickets, plum thickets. I mean, there's all sorts of different various uh, scrub brushes out there that will provide that habitat. But in general, um, you need that adversity. You yeah. need to have different, different year classes of, of everything. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and I would say one other common mistake people make is, you know, jumping into a whole lot of projects right away. You know, it's it's good to understand like how the habitat and how the wildlife are acting naturally too. You know, because I mean, it's a lot easier to make minor adjustments to get big improvements versus like bulldozing a whole area and try and force deer or force turkeys to do something that they haven't been naturally doing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Definitely reach out to your habitat organizations on that. Absolutely. Um, what are some key features you look for in buying new land? So, I mean, you've got, you know, your natural survival needs. You need food, you need water, you need shelter. So, and, you know, you kind of key on that most limiting factor too. And if you can add to that most limiting factor, say, you know, you've got a whole bunch of woods, you know, put, put in a couple food plots. So then, you know, like, cause food's the limiting factor. If, if you're in an area that you have good mix of food and cover, but there's no water, maybe think about putting in some stock ponds or something like that. You know, do you have any other additions? Yeah, um, and there's a lot of really good real estate organizations out there as well that kind of key in specifically on buying hunting properties. That'd be something good to reach out to. But um, in general, I like to see proof. Um, I was looking at some property in Minnesota. This would have been last year, and you know, it was I think sub 130 acres, 120 something acres, and uh, they had a bunch of trail cam pictures posted. Every single one of them was nighttime. I'm sure deer move through there at night. Deer move around, right? I mean, there's. There's some really good habitat for upland hunting, uh, which would be the main the main focus for me. But you also, you know, deer and anything else out there is always a benefit if you own the property. But for me, I want to see proof. You know, I need boots on the ground. Hey, what sheds have you found? Hey, how many turkeys have you harvested off this property? What else is out here? Do you have any game camp pictures? You know, mm -hmm. for that, I'm, I'm really looking for what's on the property during daylight. Um, it does no good to have deer at night coming through your property. You may get lucky during the rut, but most of us are not hunting all the time through the rut you know it's one of those deals that we have x amount of days to hunt the rut and uh but we've got 80 percent of the season's not in the rut yep and you know different people are going to have different goals too like Absolutely. maybe somebody can have a whole bunch of time early season maybe somebody can only hunt late season mm -hmm. maybe somebody only does turkeys you know find a property that fits your specific needs because what what might be wonderful for me might be terrible for you absolutely so yep and again, those have those real estate companies. I mean, not to, to promote any single one, but the one I always see advertised is Whitetail Properties, and they seem to have it pretty dialed in, you know, with that property. So, hey, I'm looking for a property that I can do X, Y, Z on. Well, they could probably help you, you know. If not, there's there's always the small town real estate companies that you know, born and raised in that same community, same county. They know exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something to say about a person that's been living there their whole life. They're Absolutely. gonna have some. They're gonna have some great ideas. Yep, good intel. Okay, next question. This one's for turkey. What, when is the best part of turkey season to hunt? 
And my answer is every day you have availability is the best day to hunt. But you know, what have, what have you seen for, for most successful times for you? You know, it, it kind of varies on the state um, and it varies on the, the weather pattern. You know, I think this year is going to be a unique year. It's been a few years since I've seen something like this where it's been so warm coming up into Turkey, Turkey opener, because a lot of the areas I hunt are, they're not on necessarily the winter roost. And so I need those birds to be broken up off the winter, you know, the winter patterns where they're grouped up, you know, and I can't remember, I was, uh, one of the guys in the office was talking about how he saw a group of 70 turkeys the other day. They're not broken up yet. No, you know, I'm looking for groups not. of sub 15, you know, low teens, low single digit or mid, high, mid to high single digits. That's where I'm really looking, you know, and um, man, kind of going back to your point, I mean, any day is a good day in the turkey woods or turkey fields or whatever it is. And uh, typically there's that, there's always that ramp up period, right? You know, you got the pre-rut, you got the pre-spawn, you got, I mean, there's always pre-something uh, where things are starting to, to pick up and some activity levels and you always have the, the hens that are going to, to breed early. You know, they're going to be mm-hmm. sitting on the nest right away, just like with fish. you got fish that are going to spawn a little bit earlier than the other, the other ones, and then vice versa. You know, you got ones that are going to spawn a little bit later. you got the ones that are going to breed a little bit later or have it go through a re-nest, you know. Uh, they lost their first nest to predators or whatever it might have been. But, yeah, I would say in general for me, late April into mid-May, um, without a doubt if I had to pick any time of the year, at least for the upper Midwest, that would be where I'd be looking for. You know, it, down in the south, totally different. You know, if you're down south uh, into Missouri – south of that south of kansas um it's gonna change you know yeah because you guys are going way earlier than we are mm-hmm. for, for me i would say you know the opening of season is great because i've had so much time to prepare mm-hmm. you know you do your virtual scouting you can get your boots on the ground you know like you're you're glassing with your optics looking for roosting sites so for me that's the best but you know my next answer is like I said initially, any day, mm-hmm. um, you just you just adjust your tactics based off of what you're seeing in the birds. You know, like early, a lot of times they're grouped up. You're yep. figuring out winter roost areas. Later in the season, they're starting to branch. You can start, you know, looking at different areas. So it's basically just do your scouting and kind of adjust with how the birds are adjusting. Absolutely. And even your subspecies. I mean, sometimes they're quiet, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're really vocal, but... Um, Typically right when the trees are, I don't know, golf ball size leaves. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just everything's awake. Everything's living, loving life, moving around. That high pressure system, I think uh, even Michael Waddell has talked about that. I mean, it's, you just can't beat it. For sure. Okay, next question. This one could go on forever, so <laughs> I'll try and be kind of quick on this one. But tips on calling hung up birds. And if you and if you know the answer every time to this one, then you are a, a great turkey hunter. That's for sure. There's yep. so many different situations. Like this is such a situational. It is one because you have to kind of read the birds' postures and what mm-hmm. they're doing. Like obviously they ask a the question, they're hung up, but like why are they hung up? Did they see you move? Mm-hmm. Did uh, do they not like some sort of reflection? So do they not even like your decoys. Yeah, because they, not that they're decoys, but because it's a turkey. Yeah, I mean, maybe there, maybe it's just a turkey that's got his butt kicked a whole bunch, and he just doesn't want to, doesn't want to go near anybody else. Yep. You know, he's licking his wounds. So, yeah, super situational. But like, generally, what are what are your thoughts on calling a, a hung up bird? You know, and just kind of echoing, you know, the first pocket or first virtual series with uh, Woodhaven and Scott. You know, uh, Mike Pentecost and Scott Ellis. They talked about the adjustment of moving around. You know, 
It's something you see in elk hunting too and mm-hmm. uh, waterfowl hunting and timber. You know, the guys kicking their legs, making all the splashing and making the noise. You know, you just got to sound like multiple birds. You know, I always have a stick with me uh, when I'm sitting down so that way I can kind of scratch some leaves. Um, another thing they talked about was using wings. Scott uses wings to beat, you know, to sound like fighting turkeys. Um, if I have a hung up turkey, typically I'll try to, I'll try to get that bird to commit. I'll try to get really aggressive. I'm going to see how he responds. He might, you know, kind of going back to what Waddell was talking about, how he just, he's going to gobble. He's going to get fluffed up because he just, that's what he's got to do, but he doesn't know why he's doing it. And he's not going to commit because he's scared of something going on. Well, I'm going to let that bird, if he's not going to commit to me and he starts feeding off, I'm going to let him feed off, get out of range, and I'm going to circle around him if I can. Mm-hmm. If he still can be on this, if I can be on the same property that I have permission on and get in front of that bird, I'm going to do it. You yeah. know, in that situation, I, I feel a little bit confident that they, he still will commit to a decoy. Yeah, I've I've had success in those exact same situations. You know, like I knew where a turkey was roosting and he pitched down. He came and looked, you know, just out of range and then, you know, he went away. So it's like, okay, at, at some point you just need to remember that like you're higher on the food chain and you are smarter than a turkey. You're in their habitat, yep. but you can you can flank them, you can readjust as long as they don't see you set up in a different area. Maybe, you know, maybe use just a hand decoy in your next setup if they were scared to move in. Or, you know, like if that doesn't work, maybe you could go super aggressive. You know, you want to change something up and see if that works. But, uh, and not yeah. every turkey's killed in the decoys. And For people sure. need to accept that fact. We've had plenty of turkeys yeah, that yeah. weren't killed in our decoys. You know, you try and lay out your best plan, yeah. but at some point you need to be flexible enough to drop your script and really just get after it. Yep. It's food on the table. Okay. Best advice for a youth hunter? For a youth hunter, for sure. Practice, practice, practice. I mean, the youth today, um, you know, it's, it's not one of those deals like, well, back in my day, we didn't have the internet. Well, it's reality, you know. We had VHS, and then it graduated to, to DVDs, and it graduated actually having really good hunting shows, you know, and then the YouTube, and it's just amazing. There's so much good content out there. I've got one of my really good friends, Steve, and his, his oldest boy, Eli, he's really gotten into hunting, and the amount of information he can digest from the Internet right now is just mind-blowing. You know, stuff that he's talking about, I'm like, how in the heck do you, there's no reason why you should know that. Like, that's one of those deals that you only learn, you only know that if you've learned that by hitting your head against the wall so many times, but there's so much good content out there. I uh, highly encourage you to make sure you're following your DNR state rules. I mean, a lot of situations, if you're under a certain age, you have to have a person over a certain age, you know, to be out there hunting by yourself. But to get involved with it, uh, there's a lot of really good mentorship programs out there. NWTF has got a really good program out there for getting new hunters out. Um, even just find a local person that's, you know, kind of a turkey junkie, uh, getting involved with them so that we can kind of learn. Because one of the things you got to access is pr- uh, public property typically. And if your area, depending on where you're from, uh, there may not be that much public property or there could be so much pressure on there that could give you a really bad experience. I mean, there's properties that you know, I've been turkey hunting for over 20 years now and I don't even go to. Mm-hmm. Even though there could be birds and there's a good chance to kill birds or maybe I have killed birds, but there's so much pressure, it takes the fun out of the hunting because it's like combat hunting. Uh, so for your youth style, definitely get involved uh, with somebody with a mentorship program or even just a buddy's dad that's got... Um, or mom even, I mean, heck, there's some freaking female turkey killers out there, like absolute turkey killers uh, that could school me. So, it, you know, just find someone to, to really kind of latch on to, if that makes sense. And uh, ground blind's a good way, too. I mean, if that's something that, you know, financially you're not able to afford. Uh, fortunately for you, we've got some great camo patterns, burdened camo patterns at Shields, you know, that we can get you into a, a decent price point uh, with that without breaking the bank. And um, the camo, and the nice thing is, too, is that whatever camo you have, 
maybe you already have deer hunting camo. Maybe you already have waterfowl hunting camo and you have 80 bucks disposable. Do I buy a turkey call? Do I buy a locator call? Do I buy a new camo system? You know, how do you kind of break that down? My vote will always be for a turkey call. There you go. Great. And then uh, just for me to add on to the, this youth question, uh, I, I'm going through it right now. I've got a five-year-old daughter that I'm trying to get excited about turkey season, and she is. She was like, hey, Daddy, we're going to go turkey hunting again this spring. So last year, like, the goal is just to make it as absolutely fun for them as possible. Mm-hmm. And, like, your success is measured in your time spent with the youth. Mm-hmm. You know, like, shooting a bird is icing on the cake, but making sure they enjoy the situation and want to come back is, like, the number one thing. So ground blind is super nice and it restricts their movement like my daughter was out there like brought her teddy bear and a blanket and like a, a hand flew down and we'd look at that there was deer going through like that's all success mm-hmm. so just you know and getting your turkeys icing on the cake and just you know kind of you, you know walking them through the preparation of what's going to be happening and just you know cherishing that time that's my that's my number one advice for a youth hunter absolutely okay been scouting and not finding birds do i wait for them to show or do i look for new areas so i'm actually going through this situation with my dad right now he called me yesterday and he's like well we got turkeys all the time like year after year after year but i haven't seen them yet so it's like why is that going on so i mean potentially they're still roosted or like they're in their winter groups and they just haven't migrated to that they haven't really dispersed and that's what we see as as a pretty common theme around there it's like you see one turkey then you see two and then you're seeing 15 and it's like then you know it's game on if you can wait them out in that area that's great but um you know i would look for option two option three so it's like have that one in your back pocket if you got a trail camera you know put it on it put it on a strutting area and then check it, and like if they come, then you know they're there. But um, definitely at least have a backup plan. Yep. So you have anything else to add to that one? Yeah, it kind of goes back to your situation that you have that, you know, it's like fishing. You know, you have your, your confident bait that, you know, if it's a four-inch plastic worm that no matter what, you know you have confidence in that bait, right, to catch mm-hmm. a large mouth or a small mouth. Well, same thing with this property stuff. If you know for a fact that turkeys are going to be in that area at some point, they're just not right now, it's going back to the winter roost. Well, something's changed. You know, there's there's a reason why they're not around. Either a food lo- or a feedlot changed, or a new feedlot got put in, or a bunch of habitat got taken out, and it kind of adjusts where they're going to be staying. Even some properties I've got uh, that I've hunted back in uh, the, the Great Plains areas that it, every single year they're different, but every single year they always will end up on this one piece as the spring progresses. So I don't I go out there and I'm scouting. I don't see any turkey sign. I don't care. Like I know they're going to be there. It's just that timing, right? You know, that's the nice thing about trail cameras that you can put those out there. Typically, in my situation where I'm commuting so far, so many, you know, hundreds of miles to, to go turkey hunting, that I don't have that luxury to, to always put those out there. So when I show up, it doesn't matter if they're there or not. Like, that's where I'm hunting, you know. Mm-hmm. And I get out there, and I'm not hearing any gobbles, or I'm hearing a gobble way off. And if I get on that property, if not, I'm just going to push that edge to that boundary of line, have my decoys obviously set up on the right side of the, pr- the property line, but I'm going to get very, very loud at calling. Even though they may be super far away, turkeys got good hearing. Yep. Just because you haven't seen them doesn't mean they aren't there or they're on the neighboring property. And you can pull them over. You know, mm-hmm. in that situation where someone's been going out and scouting, not seeing them, my question would be, have you seen birds there before? If you haven't, turn and burn. 
It's like throwing a spinnerbait. Just keep going. You're going to find you them go. somewhere. Perfect. Okay. Most overlooked tactic or piece of equipment? Yeah, that's a double-edged sword. <laughs> I shouldn't say double-edged sword. I mean, there's there's so many. Uh, toilet paper. <laughs> there you go. You know, I'm I'm not going to say toilet paper. I'm going to say wet wipes. There you go. You know, yeah, there you go. Fancy. That's just, I get it. it's, it's a lot more efficient, I'll tell you. It's not Casey Gas Station app. <laughs> um, the, the other thing is a comfortable seat. Uh, there's times where you got to get just nestled in and you're sitting there like, oh, this ain't too bad. You know, you're sitting there and 20 minutes later, you got to change cheeks, you know, and then you got to change the other cheek and then you got to stretch out a little bit. Can I tell you how many times that I've sat there because knowing that at some point these birds are going to be working through the area. You know, you're calling, you can hear a gobble way off. Okay, they're getting a little bit closer. You get readjusted, get comfortable. And there's going to be a, a time frame that you just cannot freaking move. It's mm-hmm. just like deer hunting, right? Yep. Like, you just, you cannot move because you don't know exactly where they're at because you can't see 360 degrees. Well, a comfortable seat will kind of keep you from from wanting that that um, temptation to get re-comfortable again. And I've been, I've busted so many birds because I'm just not patient enough or I'm too uncomfortable and my leg's falling asleep. Just be very cautious, but a comfortable seat is my probably my biggest takeaway that makes you sit there longer. It does. You know, Absolutely. You, you can't kill them if you're on the couch. Yep. So my most overlooked tactic or piece of equipment, I guess it could go together. I'm going to say a Jake fan. You know, bring that out. You know, like if you got a bird hung up that's going away or if you need to get their attention or something – Lift it up, flap it around. You can, you can, you know, if you got a scoot, go behind it. Make sure you're being safe, you know, like public land. Be very, very cautious about that. But having a Jake fan in your back pocket can mean the difference between the hung up bird going away and bringing them in your truck. Absolutely. All right, next question. How close are you comfortable getting to roosted birds? I don't like to get too close. Because the last thing you need to do is shoot that bird right from where they're roosting at because you're going to blow that roost out. You know, it could be – you could blow it out for the rest of the season. You could just blow it out for a week or so. But I'm a huge proponent of not setting up right on the roost. I mean, within 50 to 100 yards, I, I feel comfortable. But being within 20 yards – and it, sometimes it just happens. Like, it just – you where you set up, all of a sudden, like, crap. Like, they're, like, five trees away from me Yeah, is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I would rather – error on the side of caution you know as long as as long as you're in earshot you can make it happen you know like the closer you get like it it'll raise your odds to a certain point you know sometimes you just get too close where if you make any sort of mistake the gig is up where if you would have set up 100 yards farther back maybe you have a little bit more room for error so it's i mean that question is so situational based though but you know you Make sure they don't see you 100%. Get to a spot where you just, you know, feel it out and you feel comfortable and you know that they haven't seen you yet, but they can hear you and you're going to be in a position to be successful. Yep. Okay. Tricks for hunting mountain birds. Hmm. I've never hunted mountain birds, so I'm going to defer this one to you right away. (laughs) A mountain bird, I'm thinking... Uh, Rockies. I haven't done anything on the eastern part of the state or eastern part of the country, sorry, like the Blues or the Appalachians or any of that sort. But uh, the biggest mind game um, that screws with you is just how the sound echoes off the mountains. Like you could think that bird's right there, and then out of the corner of your eye, you'll see movement over there. You're like, I'm just so confused because that's, I just heard it over there, but I see the bird there. 
it's just so crazy how the sound goes through those uh, the mountains. It echoes out the rocks, the trees, everything else. Uh, for that one, it's so important to be to be scouting. You need to know because you can look at a big public piece and they, you have maybe five square miles. Well, it's five square miles on a map, but it ain't five square miles because it's yeah. You're going up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, no matter what, I'm also looking for kind of cleared, cleared out areas because I want to be able to see. I like to hunt with decoys. I know some people don't. I personally like decoys. Um, I like the action it brings to me. I like a hen blown up. I've had hens strutting in front of me, you know, fighting a, de- a hen decoy, you know, fighting a tom decoy or jig decoy. I personally love that. I love the excitement of turkey hunting. I never want to lose that. But for me, I want to make sure that, that wherever my decoy setup is, that it can be seen from a, quite, a few de- quite a few areas. Um, you know, from this ridge, it can be seen. From that ridge, it can be seen. And you know, cattle trail coming through is, you know, a good sign. And the nice thing, too, about turkeys is that they have huge feet. Mm-hmm. So guess what they leave behind is footprints. You know, you can look for the scratches. You got to be careful on the scratches to make sure it's a turkey and not a squirrel. I've made that mistake early on in life. Uh, the scat, you know, you can't lie about turkey scat and the feathers. If you're starting to find a lot of feathers, that's a really good area. That means that you're probably kind of zoning in on that roost. But, yeah, with that one, scout, scout, scout. Look for sign. You got to do the pre- preseason work. I would personally never go to a mountain state um, blindly. Good answer. Okay, next one. Favorite and second favorite times of day to hunt. Okay, so for me, definitely right away in the morning, especially if you can find a roosted bird. Um, Next, second favorite is going to be that like 10 o'clock range where they've – where they've been down, they've been milling around. Some of the some of the hens have gone to like sit on their eggs or whatever, and and the toms and the jakes are roaming looking for new love. So those are my yep. two answers. Yeah, I like everything up to about the last hour or so in the day, because um, I just feel like the last hour of the day. I mean, it's not saying that I don't hunt that way or, or haven't hunted that way, but you're you're more of less just getting the line of path. They're going mm-hmm. to the roost. They're using the same roost. So all you're doing is just intercepting that roost with your decoys, but you're not really working the birds. Again, I'm not against it. I'm not above it by any means. I've, I've done it. I still probably will do it in the future, but I'd never want to put pressure on them right before they go up to the trees. Yeah. Because I, mean, I could the, be there the next day. Exactly. If you, if you hunt them there and you have a great chance of busting the roost, mm-hmm. you know, like if you watch them roost up, great chance they're going to fly down that same place where, where they went up. So, and you can ambush them there and you can still preserve that roost area. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. What distance and situation do you go quiet with your calling? With the bird? Yep. If they're committed, you know, I mean, I've got a lot of videos on my phone of, of turkeys who were killing and I, it could be like a five minute video and you don't hear a single turkey call. And the reason why is if they're committed coming in, I might do some soft calling here and there, but man, unless they stop and start turning away, totally different story. And when that will, situation will happen is when you have, you're pulling a bird, a mature bird from a group of hens, which is very difficult to do, but it does happen, especially with your decoy setup. But if you get that aggressive response from that Tom to come in to your Jake, that's also got a hen that's a laydown hen, a breeding hen, whatever it might be, um, I almost will call that Tom all the way to her lap. Because he's got so much anger and focus on that one Jake, and I'm going to make that hen sound super sexy, super inviting, right? Do everything I possibly can. Um, if I have a Tom that's hung up, soft calling, try to get him in. I'll try to get aggressive. That's my last-ditch effort is always get super aggressive on the calling. Um, but, yeah, I mean, 
the thing about turkeys is that they're and elk are the same way. I mean, they're so good at pinpointing where that sound's coming from. And so every time you're calling, they're just fine tuning into where you're at. Yeah. I mean, if a turkey is coming in and looking straight at you and you're not, and you know, you don't want to be directly in line, like having the turkey and then your decoys and then you and your blind or whatever, you kind of want to be off to the side. Yep. And, the, and that comes with like, if a turkey is locked right onto your decoys and you're calling from the side, you know, like then he's going to be like, that's not natural. You know, you, you kind of have to keep that in mind too. Okay. Um, have you ever shot a smoke phase tom? Nope. I've never even seen a face smoke phase tom. I've seen I've seen pictures of them being shot. Um, I've seen the black phase as well being shot. I personally have seen hens that are smokes and hens that are black phased. Uh, you know, there's I've got a buddy who's been on a hunt that they shot a, a true actually a true albino turkey, which is pretty sweet, Tom. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, super cool. Um, not a farm tom, but an actual albino, but yeah, no, I haven't. I mean, those color phases, uh, I'm a huge fan of color phases of anything, whether it's, you know, from my trapping line to the upland bird stuff. I mean, that's the nice thing about rough grouse. They have so many color phases. It's amazing. But, nope, and I would absolutely pull the trigger. <laughs> you know, I'm not, uh, you know, from waterfowl perspective, you know, it's like the hybrids or the different color phases too, the pie balls. Um, I'm not above it, but never had the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me neither. I've, I've never even seen one in the field, but I mean, I haven't been turkey hunting that long. I've been doing yep. it like six, seven years instead of like 30 or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, next question. Where to aim with a bow from a lethal and a meat saving standpoint? So my answer on that one is going to be, uh, you know, look into your decap broadheads and then you're aiming at the, at you know, right below the beak, base of the neck, stuff like that. You're not losing any meat. If you're, uh, if you're using, you know, like your regular expandables or, or, you know, whatever you're using, you know, you're basically aiming, you know, if he's head on, you know, just, just barely above that point of the beard, you know, like you're not going to, you're not going to ruin the meat there. Or, you know, you could do the base of the neck too, depending on how close you are, how confident you are in that shot. So you have any other ads to that? Head, head, head. Don't. I've just seen too many turkeys run off and die somewhere mm-hmm. to feed the coyotes. Yeah, I've had those experiences too. You think it's a great shot, but you miss by, you know, centimeters. Yep. You know, it's just, it's such a small area when your body shot in a turkey is, you know, your headshots are 100% your, your most effective. Like, you either got them or you don't. Yep. Best way to stock a flock on the move don't (laughs) turkey's got such good eyesight yep yeah you're never you're just not gonna beat a turkey's eyes i mean it my answer to that would be uh a reaper decoy yep ghillie suit reaper decoy i mean getting in front of them planning ahead knowing where they're going to be going and then just getting up in front of them yeah, you're going to have to do some serious flanking where you know they can't see you and you can't see them, and then you just kind of have to guess. And then at some point you get far enough in front of them that you feel, okay, I think they're going to be in this area. Then you can, you know, be about ready to set up and then start calling. And if they respond back and they're in a position where you think it's game time, then set up. If not, you know, make your adjustments. That would be my advice. Yeah. I mean, it's the terrain is also is it open? Is it wooded? Whatever it might be. But yeah, you're not going to be too successful just stalking a flock of birds. I mean, they're, you got to understand that, you know, 
if you're at ground level with these birds, I mean, they're being chased by coyotes daily, mm-hmm. by whatever, you know, other yeah, predators so out there. Survival is their, you know, they do that on a daily basis. Smartest, dumbest so bird. You, I mean, you got to have the mentality that you're smarter than that turkey, but at the same time, you got to know that their survival depends on seeing things like what you're trying to do. Yep. Good camo. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. Yep. Okay. Advice on public land turkeys. Hunt during the week. Watch out for the weekends. Lots more people during the weekends. Uh, Make sure you're doing some scouting. The thing about public land stuff is that you can do all the homework. You can do everything exactly right, but it just takes one person that has not done any of that to ruin the hunt. Mm-hmm. I've experienced that with deer hunting. I've experienced it with turkey hunting. Um, you know, you've got a game plan. You've got everything just, everything is going to be perfect in the morning. Well, you get set up, you got your decoy set up. You know, you got there early in the morning. You got your pickup in the parking lot. Somebody already knows you're on the property hunting. You know, some people just don't care. There's no etiquette. You know, unfortunately, that's just the way it is today. Um, but for me, I, you know, and it's not always about going the deepest, you know, that's one thing that, you know, I think a lot of us are starting to learn now that, you know, there was such a, a big push a couple of years ago, maybe more than a couple of years ago, but you got to go deep. You got to go miles. You know, if you got a huge block of property, you need to go to the farthest point to get away from people. Not anymore because there's a lot of people that have that same mentality. Yeah, you know, for sure. The thing about it, though, is the farther you're off the road, the farther you're going to be away from a lot of people that are just jumping in real quick. You know, it's something that I'm sure you've seen, too, but even upland hunting, you know, getting to a public piece and, you're there early and you're, you know, you got your line that you're going to walk and you got the right wind for the dogs. And someone just pulls up right up, you know, right two minutes before shooting time, jumps out, jumps right in the field, right next to you and starts hunting. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've hunted a decent amount of public stuff, most, mostly deer, a little bit of turkey. Um, and I have two pieces of advice. The first one is always have a backup plan mm-hmm. and a second yep. and a third and a fourth. Yep. And um, my number one tip though would be like, do your virtual scouting, and when you find those areas you think they like, um, other people are going to have that same mentality nope. if there's any pressure at all. And I'm going to hunt the spot that I look is the best next to that because especially like deer hunting, like I'll see a finger and I think, man, that's perfect, and I will look for the near spot that is going to be overlooked because they're going to, you know, like they're going to smell boot traffic, they're going to see things. Um, and they're going to specifically avoid that, but follow their general patterns anyways. So something that is looking good, but not looking the spot that everyone else is going to think it's the best. Yep. Best food plot advice. So I'll, I'll start this one out anyways. So, um, my best food plot advice is to determine when you want deer and what your goal is. Like if you just want, um, you know, if you want winter, winter forage to find sheds, you know, like look into your corn, look into your beans, plant accordingly. If you want to target them in the, in the early, early season, you know, you can do things like soybeans where they're going to eat the greens or, you know, look into your clovers. So my best food plot advice is to, plan accordingly to when you're going to have your time to hunt mm-hmm. you know and specifically with those turkeys i mean there's a lot of good turkey blends out there for food plots um the nice thing is that there's typically always a correlation between the two different you know you got the deer and you got the turkey well in general they're going to eat a lot of the same stuff uh, mm-hmm. for me personally if it's just specifically for turkey 
there's some really good blends out there that you just do enough research, you're going to find that it's got the right mixture of whether it's clover and chufa or whatever else it might be. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, it's, it's hard to beat a grain crop, you know, soybeans, corn, because what are you trying to do? I mean, you're trying to keep those turkeys in that area, you know, and I think uh, one of these past nights we had, I think it was even Michael Waldell who talked about, you know, feeding those birds, keeping them in the area, letting them know that it's safe and there's food here, there's shelter here, uh, make sure you're following the game laws, you know, but. Mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, take advantage of your natural features too. Like, oh, yeah. you know, like when you're determining food plot locations, it's like, you know, if they, if you know they're walking this ridge and then going to like a bigger egg field later, you know, plant yourself a kill plot in between something that, um, something that you're going to have good entry and exit routes. Actually, that's my number one food plot advice is when you're putting in a food plot, be thinking about your entry and exit routes because the best food plot is not going to be worth anything if you bump deer every time you're on it. Like you have to hunt a place, you know, and think about hunting the edges too or whatever, you know, like I've got more of a deer mentality when I'm saying this, but uh, you know, it does apply to Turkey too, but be wary of your entry and exit routes. Uh, I know the answer to this, but do you hunt with a 410? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those deals that um, even before, I mean, the, the not the invention, but the popularity of TSS, I mean, we still did it, you know. Uh, it's very important to be shooting them close. And it's very important to be patterning your shotgun. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've got a single shot 410. That was my first shotgun ever, and can't tell you how many turkeys it's killed. With lead and TSS, you know, and I, in my turkey vest, I've always got at least one, one TSS load, 410, with me. Um, I try to at least kill a bird a year doesn't always happen, but I like to, you know, I like to do it with the, the upland side, you know, so I like to shoot one pheasant that year and one quail and one prairie chicken and one sharp tail and one rough grouse and one woodcock. And I don't know, it's just personal achievement, I guess, being able to do it with my gun, the first ever shotgun I ever got. But yeah, I mean, 410 is good. Uh, there's a lot of new shotguns out there now that come with optics and come with the turkey choke tubes and everything else. And I mean, it's a game changer. Uh, again, with TSS, it's absolutely incredible. It's great for new shooters. It's great for young shooters. Uh, it's a good challenge for adult shooters. It's just one of those deals is knowing your effective range. Um, it's one thing to say you did it and then post on, you know, tell your buddies, take a picture, post on social media and, you know, and puff your chest about it. But it's another thing to be ethical about it. You know, there's, there's times that there are certain properties I will not. It's 12-gauge, 3-inch, I don't care, any day of the week. And the reason why is I know these birds may not finish the way I need them to finish. Mm-hmm. And you want those birds finishing in feet, not yards, when it comes to that for it. Even though TSS is effective at a longer range, still, you don't know what your patterns can be doing unless you haven't been practicing. For sure. Good answer. All right. I think we have like 10, 10 or so of these left. Awesome. And we've been we've been covering them in pretty good depth. So goal on this one, like we're going to do 10 in 10 minutes here. Deal. All right. Headshots or body shots with a bow? Get a decap broadhead. Do your headshots. That's for sure lethal. Um, if you, if you're not comfortable with those, then, you know, do your body shots. You aim depending on the posture. There's tons of YouTube videos out there, like just YouTube and they'll show you visual representations. Anything to add? Okay. Uh, some guidance on when to use various decoy setups over the course of the season. So generally early they're flocked up. I'd like to use more, um, progressively throughout the season, I'll, you know, I'll decrease. Anything with that? Nope. 100% agree. Later in the season, it's a very, very small spread. 
because birds are broken up. I wanted to imitate a hen that's needed a reed nest. Awesome. At what approximate distance would you not try to call in a gobbler? Miles. <laughs> I mean, if the conditions are right and you can get loud enough on whatever call you have, I'm screaming. I mean, it's it's incredible how far you can work birds. You know, if it wasn't in open country, I think it's a little bit different too because if you're in, you know, the heavy woods or something, the sound's not going to carry. They're not going to be able to pinpoint you as much because it's going to bounce off everything. But in an open area, um, I 100% have no confidence reaching out a mile, mile and a half. If the conditions are correct, the wind, you know, all that. Um, it's incredible. I mean, in general, no, it's not going to work. But had, does it work? Absolutely. There's, if I can see the birds, I'm going to get on them as hard as I can and push that boundary. You know, if you can only go to the closest you can get is a half mile, try it. If there ain't no birds on the property you're hunting, that's the only bird you see. You know, don't leave fish to go find fish. Right. There you go. All right. So, I mean, this one was for, uh, for Michael Waddell, but we can answer it too. What's your most memorable hunt? So mine was last year with my five-year-old daughter. We, you know, we talked about it a little bit and, uh, just bringing her out, seeing her excitement. And we had turkeys come in gobbling at us, uh, you know, and they came in, uh, the first one, I could have shot pretty easily, but I was trying to get it on camera with a five-year-old in the blind and things didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) And then the rest of them kind of filtered through and they skirted me a little bit, but I shot at the last one and I whiffed it miserably, but she was like, that's okay, daddy, you made a good shot and I love you. And I was like, (laughs) darn near tearing up. I was like, you know, I didn't get a turkey on that one, but that's my favorite hunt. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I honestly don't have just one. I mean, it's, a lot of it for me is, is either a personal, like I finally was able to get that bird or I finally able to work that bird from that distance and finished it in my lap or whatever it might be. And there's a lot of first birds I've been a part of, and I'm very, very blessed to be able to say that I've been on so many first turkey kills. And I'd probably say in general, that's what it is. It's the first turkey kill. First bird hunts are always special. It's yep. so fun taking out kids or people that have never been turkey yep. hunting before. Yep. It's just awesome. How often should you call? We'll take this from an aspect of like you're off the roost and you're searching. How often are you calling? Uh, depends because I'm not only going to be doing turkey calls, I'm also going to try to do some locate calls as well to try to find these birds. Um, and that's all based off of what I heard. I mean, there's times that turkeys are silent, but in general, um, turkeys are still going to gobble or make noise in the trees. You know, depending on your predator population, there's an area that we hunt that's a, it's a big public area that's got a lake that the public's all around it, but there's such a high coyote density out there that once the turkeys hit the ground, they just shut up. It's insane. Um, but yeah, for me, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's so depends on if I heard anything in the morning. If I didn't hear anything, I'm probably gonna be calling a little bit more. Um, if I heard birds on the property, I know eventually they're gonna come around or get close with the, the earshot. I'll probably wait every 20 minutes or so. And it starts off, then get loud. Um, but again, if I'm going in blind, I mean, as soon as I know that you know, the, the fly down time frame, you know, it's always that magical time and it depends on the property too and the turkeys, but, um, I'm calling probably every 10 minutes, not, okay. not a huge cadence by any means, but making yeah. some noise. Um, I'll go back to the time where I think it was two years ago. I helped my dad shoot his bird. Uh, we set up in, a, in the corner of a field, we had turkeys fly down and then they went away. Mm-hmm. So at that point, like I have a general idea where they were going to go. So I packed up my, we packed up our stuff, 
as quiet as we could possibly be got to where we thought they were going to be and then started calling and then they weren't there didn't work so i'm like okay well now we're going to start working our way back so worked our way back you know called after 15 minutes moving slow nothing and then we moved to the second setup and you know another 15 minutes called and then we saw them surface so I mean, it's like I said, it's situational, but um, if you know turkeys are in the area and you're making a move, you know, you don't want to be calling and moving when you're, you know, have a decent idea where they're at. Blind calling, you know, 20 minutes. Yep. Okay. Locator call recommendation. It could be anything. I mean... I've, I, there's certain areas that I just honk my truck horn at night when I get there. You know? I, mean, <laughs> I was actually going to say truck horn is yeah. my locator call recommendation. Owl, coyote, they, honestly, Gobbles, they all work. Gobble call. I mean, clap your hands, scream, yell, roll out. I mean, it's, it's wild. Cause again, it's just a shot gobble. You know, they're, they're gobble. I don't know why I got to gobble, but I got to gobble real quick to that. But no, uh, car horns are good. Mm-hmm. Um, owl, you just can't be an owl call. Yeah, I mean, my recommendation, too, is don't do it a million times. If you heard them and you pinpointed them, like, leave them alone after that. Get out. For yep. sure. And you know what? I think that one covers it. So, you know, so many great questions from the audience. So absolutely love this. Hopefully we hopefully we answered all of your questions. If you don't uh, or if, if we didn't, you know, you can leave it in the comments of this podcast and, and we'll get to them. Mm-hmm. So, Thanks, everyone. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.